Good morning. Welcome to Trinity again. My name is Chris Colquitt. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's a delight to welcome you all this morning. If you are new, we'd love to meet you after the service. Um, would definitely invite you to come tonight to Lessons and Carol service. Uh, this will be my first Trinity Lessons and Carol service, but it has been talked up very much by lots and lots of people, so um, you shouldn't miss it if you haven't come before. We are, in this season of Advent, looking at John's prologue, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, and we're reading it entirely each week, focusing on a different piece of it, and this week we are going to do the same. We're going to be looking at especially verses 6 to 8 and verse 15. But to help us, we are going to keep going a little bit past verse 18 all the way to verse 23 today. It's printed for you in your bulletin. I invite you to open your Bibles if you have them with you. This is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Without it, we couldn't know you, and we rejoice that you have revealed yourself to us in it, and that you have done so savingly in the good news of the gospel and in your son, Jesus Christ who was there at the beginning with you, the second person of the Trinity, who came and tabernacled among us. Lord, as we attend now to your words, would the Holy Spirit who breathed these out through the Apostle John be with us and among us, work through me to speak clearly and truly and boldly of the things of Christ and work in all of our hearts. 
that are with, with one voice we might cry out to you, Abba, Father, looking to Christ alone for our salvation. Father, may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, as I said, we're looking at the prologue, which is a theological introduction to the Gospel of John. John is going to tell us the story of Jesus, his earthly life and ministry. But before he does that, he wants to set us up to know who this person is that we are looking at. Who is Christ? Who is Jesus? And today, we want to look especially at verses 6 to 8 and and verse 15, which take us to the person of John the Baptist. And as you read through this this morning... As we read through it, it raises an interesting riddle that's going to launch us off in our sermon we're going to hopefully solve, which is this. Why are those verses here in the prologue? Why does John the Baptist show up in this theological introduction to Jesus? If you read John's prologue and you delete those three verses, it's four verses, it still makes a great deal of sense. So much so that some critical scholars have said, well, these are, these are extra words put in some later time because they don't really fit in with all of the things that John is apparently trying to say about Jesus. Why is John the Baptist here? More, more fundamentally and generally, we should ask ourselves, why is John the Baptist so prominently featured in all of the Gospels? They all give great attention to this man. And John himself, as we see in verse 19, the first place he goes as he begins to narrate the historical life of Jesus is John the Baptist. What's he doing there? Why is he there? That's our starting point. If you haven't wondered that question, you should wonder it. And as Christians, I I, I suspect, and I'll just submit to you today, we probably don't give enough attention to John the Baptist. So he's going to get a whole sermon this morning uh, as a result. The key to answering that question is to understand who John the Baptist was. And John the Baptist was more than a weird cousin of Jesus who hung out in the wilderness and announced the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was something much more than that. And to see that, we need to hear Jesus' own testimony concerning John, which we find in Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read for you verses 9 to 11 of Matthew 11. What then did you go out to see, Jesus asks, talking about John. A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Here's the key thing for us to understand as we jump into thinking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last and greatest Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist was the last and greatest Old Testament prophet. And God, in his sovereign will, writes him into the story of Jesus' life and places him in close contact with the incarnate Christ so that we can understand something about who Jesus is. We have this Old Testament figure closely tied to the new covenant Lord. 
Last week, I used an illustration from pop culture. I'm going to do one more here. Uh, you will know that in sequels or in spin-offs, there is often, helpfully, a cameo of old characters who come into the new thing to make us understand that there is continuity, that something is happening. Now, the illustration I would like to use is of Fraser Crane, which is, in my opinion, the best sitcom ever produced, not appropriate in lots of ways. But since most of y'all probably don't agree with that and wouldn't get the nuanced references to how it's better than Cheers and how it references back to Cheers and various cameos, we're not going to do that, okay? But if you wanted to do that, you could. Instead, we'll use Star Wars, which is slightly more accessible. And if you'll remember a few years ago when Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, which is effectively, not effectively, which is a sequel to the old 70s Star Wars movies, came out, there was a trailer. And the, the, the teaser trailer that got everybody's attention, at the very end of the trailer, Harrison Ford, as Han Solo, shows up with Chewie and says, Chewie, we're home. And that got everybody really, really, really excited. And if you watched the new Star Wars movies, you see that they bring in these old characters who are now quite, quite elderly, right? <laughs> bring, them into, bring them into the story to help us understand that connection. Okay, end of pop culture reference. John the Baptist is an Old Testament cameo in the life of Jesus that helps us understand who Jesus is. The whole point of the prologue of John, the whole point of the Bible, is to tell us who Christ is, and that's why John the Baptist is here, okay? Now, we could stop there, but we're going to unpack that. That's, the, that's, that's what you need to remember today. John the Baptist points us to who Jesus is. All right. Verses 6 to 8 and verse 15 are here for this reason, to show us something more about Christ. Two points for our sermon this morning as we jump in. I want us to see that John the Baptist shows us, first, the oldness of Jesus. I'm not even sure that's a word. The oldness, the antiquity of Jesus, first. And then secondly, he shows us the newness of Jesus. So John the Baptist functions here in John and then in general in the course of redemptive history to show us both the oldness and the newness of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that John shows us, and we're, gonna, we're talking about John, who wrote the Gospel of John and John the Baptist, and I'm going to mess that up, and I'm going to try hard. The reason the Apostle John puts John the Baptist into this prologue is to show us the antiquity of Jesus, to show us continuity with what has come before Last week, we saw that verses 1 to 5 are there to show us, to help us understand that Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. He's the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity through whom all the world was created. Indeed, he is God. He was before Bethlehem. And this parenthetical about John the Baptist in verse 15 is underlining that point. Look at what John says in verse 15. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Y'all see that connection to the first part of our prologue? And we know from Luke that John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin and he was six months older. His ministry, his notoriety preceded Jesus. He was he was a thing before Jesus came onto the scene in his public ministry. And yet, John says, 
He came before me. He was before me, and he ranks above me. That's a reference in John to this reality that Christ didn't begin at Bethlehem. He's, he's preaching the same sermon that I preached last week. When the Apostle John describes John the Baptist in verses 6 to 8, he orients us in this same way. Remember what the first five verses say. The Word was in the beginning, with God, was God, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And John, we see in verse 6, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now notice here that the light that John is bearing witness about is the light of one through five, the pre-existent, pre-incarnate, eternal Son of God. John will have a very important role in identifying Jesus, and we'll talk about that on Christmas Eve when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But before that, he is testifying to Christ, the eternal second person of the Trinity, in whom is life, and the light was the light of men. And here we need to remember John the Baptist's close connection to the Old Testament. John the Baptist here stands in, as it were, as a representative of the Old Testament. And what is said about John can be said about all that came before John. Jesus makes this explicit in John chapter 5, where he talks about John the Baptist and then about all the Old Testament scriptures and says, they bear witness about me. John is the last in a long line of men from God sent by him to bear witness about the light. This has been happening before. Jesus challenges the Jewish authorities in John chapter 6, and he says, John chapter 5, he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because Moses was talking about me. He says something very similar, teaches the apostles something very similar in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus, which we would look at if we had more time. John the Baptist's role in the prologue is helping us to establish this very point. Jesus is not a new person. That was last week's sermon, and John's saying the same thing. He was there at the beginning. He was before me. He's also not a new idea. God has been bearing witness to him through his prophets since the beginning. All right. Why does that matter for us this morning? Two things. First, it helps us understand the Old Testament, and this is really important for us if we're going to understand our Bible. This was first true for the first century Jews who were receiving this. You need to remember that they're going to be confused by the fact that the Jewish authorities are rejecting Jesus, and part of John's testimony, both the apostle and the Baptist, is to say no. Long, for a long time in the history of Israel, the rulers of Israel have gotten it wrong. The people of Israel have gotten it wrong. And yet God again and again and again has raised up faithful witnesses to call them to repentance and to point them to truth. And John the Baptist is doing that. This is not a new thing. And for us, mostly Gentile 21st century Christians... As we read the Old Testament, we can do so with confidence that we can see Christ there. 
The Old Testament saints were saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 7 is massive to this, right? The Old Testament bears witness about the light that all might believe. The scriptures bear witness to Christ. Genesis bears witness to Christ. What we've been doing up here in the fall as we looked at Genesis and talked about Jesus is not just imaginary. It is grounded in the reality that Christ existed when Genesis was written and those events were taking place and those witnesses were there to point forward to his incarnate ministry on earth. He was both the pre-existent creator word of the universe and the offspring of Adam who would come and crush the head of the serpent. That's all here. John the Baptist is important for us to understand that, to get to do the really amazing things that we get to do as we look at the Old Testament scriptures and see Christ all over the place. So he helps us understand the Old Testament. But more deeply, it helps us understand God himself. God, as we see in John the Baptist here making an Old Testament cameo and testifying to Christ, even as the world is appearing to shift greatly between what is old and new, God shows us that he has been and is continuing to be in control writing this story from the very beginning. We need to know this. God didn't try the temple sacrificial system and the law and say, I hope this works. And then, and then be like, dadgummit, I guess, we'll, I guess I'll send Jesus. That's not how God works. From the very beginning, Christ was there and God's decree and plan to send his son to redeem the world was there. God is not fickle. He is in control This is massively encouraging as it relates to the gospel, and it should be massively encouraging as it relates to our lives. God doesn't call audibles in the course of redemptive history. That's a football reference for those of you who aren't football fans. God doesn't change the play. And that's true of your life, brothers and sisters. God doesn't look at your life and say, dadgummit, I got to figure something else out. You and I look at our lives sometime that way, don't we? But God does not. He is working all things for your good. Indeed, behind this reality are those incredibly comforting words in Romans chapter 8 that if you've been around the church, hopefully you've at least heard them, that all things do indeed work together for the good of those who love the Lord, that if God is for us, who can be against us, and that nothing will separate you from the love of Christ The work of God from creation to now bearing witness to Jesus Christ gives us encouragement that that is true in the work of redemptive history and in your life. God is with you. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet called on Christ in faith, I want you to hear in this both an encouragement and a challenge. First, an encouragement that both your hope and your fear that perhaps it's not true, that there is indeed meaning and purpose and progress in the universe, that's true. It is not all chaos. Be comforted. The challenge, though, for you this morning is that that meaning and purpose and progress is orchestrated by the God who created you 
And it is focused on the person of Jesus Christ to whom you need to respond. The whole course of human history is designed to bear witness to Jesus Christ, and in him alone is life. Receive him. So Jesus Christ is not a new person. He's not a new idea. That's good. John the Baptist came to bear witness to that. The second thing, though, he does, this is our second point, is that he helps us to understand that there is indeed something new happening. There is a newness to Jesus Christ. Things are fundamentally different on the other side of Christ, and John the Baptist's cameo helps us recognize that. Matthew 11, 11, which we read half of, let me read the rest of it. Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He is the greatest Old Testament prophet. Yet, Jesus says, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Something decisively is changing because the very message that John announces that the kingdom of heaven is at hand Why does he say that? Because the king of heaven is here in Jesus Christ. And those who come after the king are fundamentally greater than all who have come before. There's a decisive change. Something new and better has arrived in history. And we see the same thing in John 1. Look at verses 8 and 9. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into The world. The contrast here is between John not being the light and the true light who was coming. John wants us to, John the Apostle and John the Baptist, but John the Apostle in writing this wants us to understand that John the Baptist was simply bearing witness, looking forward to a reality along with the entire Old Testament that now was here. The reality had come, the preview had given way. This is matched by John's own testimony concerning Jesus there in 19 to 23. He says, I am not the Christ. He is a forerunner, the one who comes to announce the Messiah's return. In verse 27, which is just after the passage we read, John says he's not even worthy to untie the sandal, the strap of Jesus' sandal. Now, if we remember John's connection to the Old Testament, which is important, we can, we can see this as saying much more than, hey, my cousin's more important than me. Y'all should pay attention to him. We can hear the whole Old Testament speaking through John the Baptist here, bearing witness, I am not the Christ. Moses, the great deliverer of Israel, as we read him, as we hear him, we should hear him say, I am not the Christ. I bear witness to the Christ. I am not the Christ. And as he institutes the Passover supper and as he brings forth the Passover lamb, we should hear him say, this is not the Christ. But it points to him. And as he brings forward the law, commands us in how we should walk, he wants us to know this is not the Christ. It only bears witness to him. And as he builds the tabernacle and establishes sacrifice, these are not the Christ. They're here to point you to the reality. King David and all the prophets would say the same thing. I am not 
the Christ, I bear witness to him. Look at verses 15 to 17. Our Bibles don't know what to do with verse 15, and so they put it in parentheses. But I want us to read 15 to 17 together and maybe think that that parenthesis should be removed. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is, was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Now if we see John as the Old Testament prophet par excellence, and we see the Old Testament bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me. Now 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a clear logic that ties 16, 15 to 16 and 17. The new thing, the fullness that comes in Jesus Christ is the fullness of the grace that was pointed forward to in all of the Old Testament where the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the cleansing rituals and even John's baptism itself provided a way to relate to God and to understand the hope of our Messiah, now the reality has come. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Spirit rather than just with water. He gives new birth, not just cleansing. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Not a picture of God's presence in the tabernacle, but God himself making himself tabernacle among us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world once and for all. He is the Christ, the promised Messiah, the great King who will reign forever. Jesus' incarnation, life, death, and resurrection are decidedly a new thing. Something new has happened. And John the Baptist in the whole Old Testament encounters Jesus and steps back and bows down and says, this is the greater thing. Y'all see that? That's what John's here for. He's here to show us that thing. There is continuity. This is an old thing. And yet, it's now it's time for me to decrease and for him to increase. Grace has arrived in its fullness. Now, it's tempting here to go off into some really fun and rich biblical, theological, and hermeneutical realities. But I... I I want us to, I want to, I want to aim at your heart even more directly as we close. There's a hazard here. It's well documented in the history of the church. It's well documented in my life. And I would hazard to guess it's well documented in each of your lives. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it makes sense. And we'll talk about why to move back to Old Testament things to move away from the fullness of Christ and the fullness of grace that we have in him and back into law and sacrifices and performance. That's a movement we've seen historically. It's a movement I see in my own heart. It's not usually explicit in my heart. I don't go find a sacrificial lamb, and yet the essence of it is there, to prefer law and performance over the fullness of grace that I find in Christ Jesus, where the law was designed, as Paul says in Galatians, to show me my inadequacy and point me to Jesus, where that's the whole point of the Old Testament, I find this intoxicating possibility that maybe I can do it. 
maybe I can make a way. And the challenge for me and for you this morning is to hear and imitate John the Baptist's confession of faith. I am not the Christ. You are not the Christ, brother and sister. When you feel the attraction to rules and performance, you need to hear John the Baptist and you need to say out loud, these are not the Christ. They were designed to show me Christ and to show my need for Christ. They are not the Christ. And when you feel the pressure to perform and to save yourself or the world or your family or whatever situation that is, you need to get the words of John the Baptist on your lips and say out loud, I am not the Christ. Got to learn his confession because we are tempted to deny it. And when you feel guilt and shame because you do not live up to whatever standard your conscience bears or those around you bear, and it's true, you don't need to feel good about yourself and say, forget it, you don't live up. But that voice of guilt is not there to encourage you to do more and try harder. It's there to encourage you to say with John, I am not the Christ. And as you say those words, would you draw near to the one who is? This Christmas, every Christmas in the Advent season, we celebrate the newness and the fullness of the gospel coming in. And John himself, as he steps back and bears witness to Christ, invites us to do the same. Don't put yourself back in the Old Testament. Don't put yourself back under the law. Christ is yours. He has come. Rejoice and be glad, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in this good news, and we pray that your spirit that now bears witness in our hearts, oh, what more privileges there are to the Christian life, would testify in us and with us that something new has indeed come. It's not new in the sense that it wasn't part of your plan, but it is new in the sense that we in history have the greatest of all privileges in Jesus Christ's accomplished work and in his Spirit's testimony. Be with us this morning. Testify these things to us this Advent season as we consider the coming of Christ. Would we see in his arrival the testimony of John the Baptist? the testimony of the whole Old Testament, of the law itself, that it is not the Christ. Make these things ring deep in our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.